0: Go ahead if you have a Bible you can turn to Luke chapter 1. If you're on a, if you're, you have a device we're doing the ESV version English Standard Version. Well, we're in week 2 of our Advent series. Advent means coming. So what we do during the month of December is we take the 4 weeks of December and we celebrate the coming of Christ. And that's what we've been doing in a series called, right, you can see behind me, the story that God wrote. And what's so interesting about the story that God wrote at this time, at the birth of Christ, is that he used a cast of characters that is unlike the kind of characters that we would use if we were writing a story. In other words, if we were writing a story, we were picking a team, what we like to do is we like to pick what we feel like are the best men and women for the job, we want to pick those people that are exceptional and that excel at the thing that we're choosing them to do, and then yet we see what God does in his economy, in God's kingdom, which sometimes we refer to as the upside-down kingdom, because it's so different to how we think and act and choose, is he picks people that are the opposite of who you would think you would want to have to get the job done that you're tasking them to do. And that's how God operates, and he does that all the way through Scripture. Um, And what's great about when we read these stories, and last week we looked into the story of Joseph, who was the adopted father of Jesus, is that these are stories that we resonate with because these are people just like us, and their stories are very similar to our stories. One of the things, if you're like me and you grew up in an environment where, man, you were just in, you know, I was in Sunday school at a young age and then youth group. You know, that I, 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 I became inoculated to these these people that, that we read about every week in the Bible. They, they became, in a way, not more ordinary to me, but they became more detached and almost a little too, almost superhero-like to me. And so what we're going to try to do over the next few weeks is remind ourselves that these people that God used are just like us and they have stories just like And what we're going to look at this morning is the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, who were the parents, and the very old parents, I might add. Sorry to offend the elderly out there this morning. But they're the older parents of John the Baptist, who really is a major, major part of the story of Christmas. So speaking of stories of Christmas, obviously you've all probably seen the Christmas story, and by that I mean the movie The Christmas Story movie, if you have, I don't know, maybe that's too provocative, but if you haven't seen it, I think it's going to go on 24-hour loops starting, you know, the day before Christmas Eve. But really, it's about this kid named Ralphie who uh, just wants a Red Ryder BB gun for Christmas, and um, all he does the whole movie is try to drop hints to his mom and dad, letting them know that this is what I want for Christmas. And the movie is really just about this poor kid trying to drop hints to his parents all the while wondering if they even are hearing a word that he has to say. So Ralphie's like, man, do they even know what I want? And he's dropping all of these hints. Do they even know what I'm asking them for? And then in the end, going to give this one away because if you haven't seen it, it was made in 84 and you should have already seen it by now. Um, But here's what happens in the end is that Ralphie gets what he wants he gets the Red rider BB gun, and then he ends up shooting his eye out, which is what his parents said. The reason why we don't want to get this for you is because it's dangerous. You're going to shoot your eye out. Ralphie gets the gun, shoots his eye out. You know what's crazy about that is last year we, uh, we bought our daughter a BB gun for Christmas. This is a little rabbit trail here for you. And uh, it was the craziest thing. Uh, she wanted it. And so we, uh, we, we bought her the BB gun. It, was it a Red rider? I don't, I don't remember if it was a Red rider or not, you know? Um, so we set up all these targets in the backyard. And I'm not like, you know, you guys know me. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a gun guy. I'm kidding, I'm not a gun guy at all. Um, so there I am holding the Red rider, my daughter showing me how to hold it and how to pull the trigger and how to do all the stuff, right? Um, so there I am, I'm aiming. You know, we have the target against the the wood, you know, fence. And my first shot, like I shoot that thing, it ricochets off the target and hits me in the knee. Like I literally did what Ralphie did when he got his red rider. That has absolutely nothing to do with the rest of this sermon right now, but I wanted to throw that one in there. But here's what's interesting it, it kind of brings us back to this idea, and we think about Ralphie, and he's asking his parents. And he's just so, just. He's just in, he, his, his mind is just in, in distress the whole movie because he's not sure that his parents are hearing him. And it kind of makes us ask the same question we think about God. And some of us intrinsically or even subconsciously think this, and it's that, does God even hear us? Does God hear my prayers? And then the question becomes, what is he trying to accomplish in us when he hears our prayers, but the answer is a yes or a no, or a who knows. And that's a little bit of what we see here when we get into the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. And so I'm just going to jump right in here to verse 5. And this is what it says. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Let's just stop right there. The first big thing that we see in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is simply this. It's that God hears Zachariah's prayer. God hears Zechariah's prayer, which is a good thing because look at the introduction that we get to Zechariah and Elizabeth. What is it? Well, it's infertility. And if we look in Scripture, we see that there's a history of infertility in the Bible. We look back, we remember Abraham and Sarah who struggled with infertility before they had Isaac. We remember Elkanah uh, and Hannah who struggled with infertility before they had Samuel. So there has been a history of infertility all through scripture. And what that means is when we talk about infertility, we're not just talking about a history of childlessness, but we're talking about what goes along with that, which is suffering and sadness and brokenness and disgrace for these particular cultures. This was the reality that haunted Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. Christopher Ash, this is what he said. He writes about this. He says, there is no anniversary of childlessness on which friends might send a card of condolence. There is no grave to visit and remember. There is no photograph or name or memory of the child who never came. It's just an emptiness. It's a not-ness, a joy that didn't come a hope forever dashed. So that gives us an idea of what we're talking about when Luke introduces us to the childlessness of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then it causes us really to ask the question about our own lives, which is what would be the introduction to your life? If we could read your story today, because you all got an introduction. You all got an intro. You all got something and some event that marks you and shapes you the same way that it did Zechariah and Elizabeth. What would that be? What would that be if you were to go deep enough to say, how would I introduce my life to you? What's significant here in particular about Zechariah and Elizabeth is that Luke tells us that despite the sadness and the brokenness and the suffering They remained righteous before God and it said they walked blamelessly. So that's significant for us as this sort of sets us up for what's about to transpire in their lives. Because what happens to Zachariah here? Well, his priestly division, they chose him to burn incense in the temple. And then an angel of the Lord appears, which, by the way, seems to be a little bit of a theme when we're talking about the Christmas story. But an angel of the Lord appears, and whenever an angel appears, it's always the occasion for fear. So whenever a man or woman sees an angel, it's not something like when we walk into like a, you know, when we walk into Target and hit mag, the Magnolia section and see like the, the beautiful angels that Chip and Joanna have prepared for us to put on our mantle. And we're like, oh, you know what I mean? It's like there's great fear. It's like there's trembling, like they're being faced with something supernatural that makes them sort of like sort of tuck and run for cover. But the angel reassures Zachariah, and he reassures him with the kind of word, by the way, that we all want to hear, that you want to hear, that I want to hear, which is this. Your prayer has been heard, Zachariah. You and your wife's prayer has been heard. And by the way, it's good news. Well, what is the good news? Well, it's that Zechariah and Elizabeth will have a son that they will name John. And by the way, this is a child that will bring joy, gladness, and rejoicing To many, because this is somebody who was prophesied about, who has a very specific mission. And we read about what that mission is in verse 15 For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So God hears Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer. Here's something that should encourage us about that when we think of prayer, and we think about the way that God receives our prayers, and we think about the way that God hears our prayers. David Mathis writes this. He says, not only does God express himself and bid us hear his voice, but he also wants to hear ours. The speaking God not only has spoken, but he also listens. He stops. He stoops. He wants to hear from you. He stands ready to hear your voice. Mathis says, Christian, you have the ear of God, and we call that prayer. So for some of you, you don't have to imagine the grief of what it means to pray for a good thing and have it never come to pass. You'd be able to tell us all of a, a story. You'd be able to introduce yourself with a story of praying for something that has never come to pass. But we want to be clear on a few things so that we might better know God in our grief. And here's just a few things as we sort of step back and look at what's going on with Zachariah and Elizabeth. The first one is this. Hopefully this will help us when we think about these prayers that we pray out to God that don't seem like they're being answered. The first one is this, is that God is not obligated to give us the answer that we want when we want it, right? Only a child believes he should get everything he asks for the minute he asks for it. So if you have a kid, you should have already said amen when I said that, right? But at the same time, what's crazy is that God wants us to ask. God desires for us to ask. Turn to Luke 18 and look what it says about us asking God. Luke 18 And it's a parable that Jesus told, and he told them a parable, it says, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said this, verse 2, chapter 18, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Way to keep it vague, right? Verse six, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give just to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily, but nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth. So there is this idea through scripture that God is saying, come to me, ask those things that are in your heart, that you have my ear when you are coming before me, the throne of grace, when you are coming before me as somebody who has received more mercy, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to hear you. But guess what? I may not give you the answer that you think is best for you. Well, man, that's a hard thing for us to wrap our heads around but it's important for us to remember that God is God and we're not and for God to not give us the answer that we think we deserve or that we think is the right answer tells us a lot about us and even more about God number two waiting is usually God's initial answer to our prayers Right? Psalm 3320 reminds us our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. So if you read the Psalms over and over again, there's this theme where they are waiting upon the Lord and in their waiting, they are trusting in his character. They're hoping in his word. So waiting is usually God's initial answer to our prayer. And we see that in Zechariah and Elizabeth. Third, God is not punishing you when he says no to your prayers. And let's remember that a no is an answer to a prayer. And by the way, not only that, but a no from God is his best yes for you. Well, I don't like that. Because my best yes for me is my yes for me right? And then finally, when God doesn't give you the yes you want, it doesn't mean he hasn't heard your prayer. Isaiah 55.8 reminds us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. What God is saying right there is like, you have no idea what you have no idea about. And remember that you have no idea about the things you have no idea about, right? And then he says this for his, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I only forgot that 96 times this week, right? Zachariah and Elizabeth, listen, they had no idea they'd have a child. And when they did have a child... They had no idea that it would be the child prophesied about in Isaiah 40, which said, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's John the Baptist. That's the dude. That's their kid. God always has something in mind. God always has something in mind. God is not absent minded. God is not vegging in your life. God is not saying, I don't have time to think about this right now, but give me a minute and then I'll get to it. That's how we operate. That's not how God operates. So let that truth, let that transform your mind. Let that transform your thinking. Let that transform your opinion of God. Because at the end of the day, God heard Zachariah's prayer. And what happens next is equally as important because he delivered Zechariah from a hardened heart. So you have this twofold thing that's happening with Zechariah. Look what it says in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Well said, Zechariah, referring to your wife right there. And the angel answered him. I am Gabriel I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news and behold you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time and the people were waiting for Zachariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And it was time of service was ended, he went to his home. And then after these days, verse twenty-four, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. So an angel comes before Zechariah. How does Zechariah respond? Well, simply, he doesn't believe God. He doesn't believe God somehow. He's perfectly fine having a chat with an angel in that particular moment, but he doesn't believe that God can miraculously provide a child to him and Elizabeth in their old age. And then we see the response of the angel by first reminding him of who he is, which was one who stood in the presence of God. And by the way, was sent to bring Zechariah this good news. In fact, a a precursor to the good news of Christ. In the same way that John the Baptist was preparing the way, preparing the people for the coming of the Lord, this birth was like another preparation for the good news that was going to come when Jesus was born. Actually, it recalls the time in Genesis 18, remember when the angel visits Abraham and tells him that his wife Sarah would get pregnant. And Sarah's like 99 years old, right? And she laughs to herself and she says, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? And you know how the angel replies to Sarah in that moment? That's what he says. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Like you're sweating out that? Like you think your age somehow has a factor in what the Lord can do? Like there's like a preposterousness to it, You've asked the Lord for something. God is hearing your prayers. Do you think that the reason why he has an answer to the affirmative is because there's some barrier there for him? But that's how we think. That's how we operate. That's our default. I mean, there are many things that are too hard for me, right? You guys are all afraid to say right when I said that. I mean, I hit a ceiling pretty quick when it comes to my particular giftings, right? But imagine a God who is able to accomplish everything he imagined. Imagine somebody who was limitless. Imagine somebody who always could do anything that was in their mind, but chose to do what they wanted for a particular reason that we can't always comprehend. Would that change the way that you looked at God? Would that change the way that you received your answers to prayer, whether it's a yes, a no, or a who knows from God. But what happens to Zachariah? Well, the angel disciplines Zachariah. He disciplines this dude for his unbelief. He causes him to be mute until his son is born. And by the way, how happy was Elizabeth when Z went mute like that? I mean, oh my gosh, right? It's almost like a gift for Elizabeth, right? But there was an expectation for Zechariah to believe the word of the Lord. Gabriel is saying, hey, I'm coming to you with a word from the Lord in whose presence I stand. And by the way, when I tell you this, the expectation is that you're going to believe it. So what happens then to Zachariah he becomes mute? What happens to Elizabeth? She becomes pregnant and she keeps herself hidden away. The shame of her infertility still haunting her, even as she acknowledges God's grace in removing her. Disgrace, And what we find out is that even those things in those areas in our life that God, we see his hand clearly working and we maybe get that prayer answered, man, there is still things that we deal with in that. There's still ways that we are being shaped in the ways that we are being shaped. And yet we still see God's grace and mercy in our lives because as Elizabeth was being hidden away, as she was hiding herself away, she wasn't alone in that. And we don't even know, we're not given what God had been saying to her and the ways he'd been ministering to her in that particular moment, but we know that he was. Why? Because God's not static, because God is always moving. His movement is always going out. So let's be clear on a few things here as we unpack just this little portion that we went through. Number one, Zachariah's heart had grown hardened. There was something about him receiving this word from the angel and him just going, come on. How is this possible? And again, this is a faithful guy. This is somebody who is blameless and righteous before the Lord. The angel comes to him and says, you're going to have that child. And he goes, dude. And again, that reminds us of something, doesn't it? It reminds us that even though we believe, we have unbelief. Remember? Remember? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Like, I believe you, but man, I still wrestle against not believing you. So if you feel like you're the only one that's like that, well, you're not, because Zechariah gives us such a great example of what it means to be caught between the tension of those two things. And what happens if that, just, if, if that is allowed to just continue to marinate in us that, that sense of tension and that sense of unbelief, what happens is our heart begins to grow hard against believing that God can do anything because that is a hard heart. A hard heart is one that grows cynical towards God. It's a heart that questions God's heart. And so Zechariah's heart had grown hardened too. By the way, we'll go back to this, is that God was not punishing Zechariah, but he was disciplining him and he was testing him. Hebrews 12, 5 reminds us, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Why? It says it right here. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God only punishes the unrighteous. The rest are disciplined because, listen, love without discipline, it's just not really love. It's actually a form of selfishness. It's actually making it more about you. And so for God to let a pattern in someone's life go undisciplined and untested, it would say something about what his ultimate drive, desire, and goal for that person or you or me actually is. So when we see Zachariah going silent or mute, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why that was the, the, the discipline that was chosen for him, but it's what God chose for him out of love. And then three, we see that Zachariah's testing actually resulted in greater faith, in greater faith. So when you are disciplined, when you are tested, when your heart has grown hard, because maybe the answer to your prayer has been a no, or maybe, or you haven't gotten that yes that you haven't wanted to get, and maybe you continue to pray, or maybe you stop praying, or maybe you find yourself in a season where you don't know what to think, and it's twisting sort of your mind and your thoughts and your opinions of God. Sometimes what God is going to do is he's going to come in, and he's going to cause you to endure a trial and a testing and some discipline. Why? Because he has an end game and he has a goal for you as a loving father, which is increased faith in him. 1 Peter 1, 6 reminds us, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. Now listen, God didn't silence Zechariah because he was sick of his voice, because he was just sick of him just continuing to ask and ask, and then finally I give it to you what you want, you don't even believe me. He wasn't doing it because he was sick of his voice. He wasn't trying to be kind to Elizabeth for the duration of her pregnancy, right? Silencing Zechariah was another way of God showing him that he has the power to open the womb. He has the power to silence the voice. And he's always trustworthy in all things. It's kind of like God saying, Don't think wrongly of me, Zechariah. You've been a righteous man, and I'm going to discipline you so that you remain fixed on me with your eyes and remain faithful to me in your heart. And then look what happens at the end in verse 57. I'll bump all the way over to 57. It says, Now the time for Elizabeth, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives are called by that name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Now remember, that's kind of funny because it wasn't like Zachariah couldn't hear, you know what I mean? Um, And then he asked for a written tablet and wrote, his name is John, and they all wondered at that. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosened, and he spoke, blessing God, and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was upon them. So we see in the end, the child is born. He names him John. His tongue is loosened. His voice is returned to him. Maybe this morning you feel unheard by god maybe you're in a place where you feel ignored you feel forgotten by god what is god doing in that moment what is he doing in this moment at this particular christmas season for you what is he doing when he doesn't give you what you ask for he makes you wait or he says no altogether for Zachariah, God had a far greater purpose in mind. And in the process, what would he do to Zechariah? Well, he would unharden Zachariah's heart. And at the same time, what we're going to read here in a minute, he would not only unharden Zachariah's heart, but he would make it more hymn-like, H-Y-M-N-like. He would make it more tuneful, right? Because here's the thing, here's what we know. God had a baby planned for them all along. In actuality, it was a baby planned for his own son. Why? Well, because he would someday prepare the way for the Son of God. Jesus said, Among those born of women, none is greater than John. So the, the, the role that God had prepared for John was so vital, it was so important, it was prophesied for. Zechariah and Elizabeth couldn't have known that. They didn't know that until it was revealed to them at the time that God had decided to reveal it to them. Isn't that interesting in the way that God works? I mean, he could have dropped them a note like 20 years before that and just said, hold on to your horses, kids. The kid's coming. He doesn't do that. He makes them wait. And here's the thing that we got to remember about God is God has his own calendar year, man. He's not working for you to simply have a great weekend next week. His grace and his mercy, it goes way beyond that. And because it goes way beyond that, he's also not constricted. He's not limited by your desires. But he fulfills his desire for you in a way that's going to be most glorious for him and most good for you. In other words, listen... Everything God does, if everything God does is for his greatest glory, then our greatest joy will be when God is most glorified. And what that means is that everything that happens will be to the fulfillment of those ends. And when it doesn't look like it, we trust what we can't see. Spurgeon said, when we can't trace his hand, we must trace his heart. So... It's helpful for us to remember and to understand that faithful people face disappointment and that sometimes in our disappointment, we feel that God may have forgotten us. The question is, what will I do when my hopes and dreams don't come to fruition? Because here's the thing, follow me here, hope isn't dashed when we don't get what we want. Hope is dashed when we become enslaved to our wants. Are you living disobediently because your deepest desires haven't been met? It might be helpful to ask yourself what kind of depth those desires would produce in you if they were granted. Because that's the work God is doing in our prayers, and in our wants, and in our desires. See, God hears your prayers, but he wants your heart to become less hard. He wants your heart, he wants my heart to become more him-like through the way that he answers those prayers. God wants your heart, he wants my heart to sing. He wants singing hearts. That's what God wants. That's what he wanted from Zechariah. He wants our hearts to be on an endless loop of praise to him for the heart that he has for you. Because Z was made to wait, what happened? Well, his heart became unhardened. And it was made more him-like in the process. Is that what God is doing to you and how he's answering your prayers within the story that he continues to write for your life. Because again, it wasn't that Zachariah and Elizabeth weren't getting a son. It's that Zachariah and Elizabeth's son would prepare the way for a greater son. A greater son that would change their lives far more than their own son ever could. So today we might want to reflect on how God might be answering our prayers so that our heart becomes unhardened more hymn like and happy towards Jesus so that our words become like Zechariah's words as we finish here in verse 67. Look what came flowing out of Zechariah when that hardened heart became unhardened and more hymn like And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see what it says there? His father, Zechariah. The prayer was answered. God granted him his desire. He became a dad. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying this in verse 68 Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So we celebrate communion this morning because of verses 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of God, where the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. What's the bigger story that's happening here with John the Baptist? Is that he was a son that was preparing the way for the greater son that would prepare the way for us to have peace with God. When we take communion this morning, when we take that bread that is symbolic of Christ's body and we dip it in that cup, which is symbolic of Christ's blood, what we're doing is we're acknowledging the greater son that Zachariah and Elizabeth's son prepared the way for. Why? So that we might not find ourselves cast into darkness for all eternity. So that the light of hope that Christ brings would be made manifest in our hearts to guide our feet into the way of peace. So as we come together this morning, as we remember this, as we dip that bread into the cup, we remember that this is literally darkness to light. A preparation of our souls to come before the living God to experience joy and mercy and grace and peace once again. So let the weight of that, let the depth of that just fall on you this morning. If there are things in your life, if there are sins in your life, if there are grudges in your life, this is an opportunity before you even get in line to receive the bread and cup, to stand before the Lord quietly, go before him and say, Lord, you've surfaced these things. There has been a hardness of heart in my life because of these prayers that are either answered yes, answered no, answered who knows. Bring those things before the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you in this moment so that the weight of the body and the blood of Christ can descend upon your soul again in a way that reminds you of the life that you've been given that John the Baptist prepared the way for through parents who had suffered for years waiting for We've been given a gift, and we see the way that God brought us this gift and the means and the people that he brought it through, and this gives us hope. This gives us encouragement this morning as a people gathered, as a community gathered, as a church gathered. So I'm going to pray, and as I pray, um, the ushers are going to come forward, and then we're going to receive communion together. God, we thank you when we look down at the life of Zachariah and Elizabeth and we see the work and the story that you wrote with them and through them. And Lord, we see ourselves in their story and we see ourselves as having prayers that have gone unanswered or that we've been given answers that were not acceptable to us. And so God, in the same way that Zachariah and Elizabeth were righteous before you and they were blameless before you, God. As we continue to pray for things that are desires and wants and needs, God, would you do something in our hearts that allows us to trust in you in our waiting. Lord, that allows us to see that you are writing a story that we can't see yet and that in that our faith would be built, that our faith would grow And Lord, that as you are given more glory in our waiting, Lord, that we are growing in that to know you better. And as our faith increases, we pray that our love for you increases. And that when we see other people that are struggling in these same areas, God, that you would allow us to walk alongside of them and encourage them with our own stories of having to wait for prayers answered and unanswered. So Lord, this morning, as we come before you, as we receive your broken body and your shed blood, God, once again, we pray for a spirit of thankfulness, acknowledging your mercy and your grace. And we ask God that you would, um, anything that might surface in our hearts, that you would give us uh, wisdom to take it before you, to lay it at your feet, and to remember the gift that we've been given that was prepared for us by this particular son, for the greater son that has brought us from darkness into light. So God, thank you for this truth this morning. It's a happy truth for us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.